Welcome to The Last Days. I'm Jason Beckerman here with Derek Hoffman. Derek, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Jason. This is a special episode of Last Days where we're going to pay tribute to some of the extraordinary talents and personalities we lost in 2023, but who we weren't able to cover on one of our weekly episodes. Since we launched the podcast in March, we have covered the deaths and celebrated the lives not just of those who died years ago, but also many who died this year, from Matthew Perry and Tina Turner to Jim Brown and the Iron Sheik. But there will inevitably be more deaths than there are episodes, and so we wanted to take this opportunity to recognize many famous people who we didn't cover during the year. Derek, start us off with one of the most prominent talents in television history who just died at the age of 99. Yeah, I almost feel badly that we weren't able to cover this death because it was one of the most momentous of the year, and that's Bob Barker. The longtime host of The Price is Right passed away at the age of 99 in August of this year. Um, His death certificate listed the cause of death as Alzheimer's disease, and there was little other information, but he lived a very, very long life. I have been blessed in that I have had 50 years doing something that I have thoroughly enjoyed and I've been paid for. How good can you have it? Always be known as the man on the price is right forever and ever. Yeah, you know, so Bob Bob Barker was one of those guys who was very comforting to, you know, think about. You know, he'd been off the price is right now for a number of years. I think Drew Carey has run that show for the better part of, you know, a decade or so at this point. So it's now Drew Carey's show, but I'll always think of it as Bob Barker with that long, skinny microphone. If you were ever home from school one day because you called out sick, I would just watch the price is right endlessly. And he had this sort of, Beautiful sort of, uh, you know, ease about, you know, being on a game show and hosting a game show. You have a lot of excited people. It's the biggest day of their life. And he always made it feel like a big event, even though he did it every day. I remember watching Bob Barker and thinking, this is the greatest day of this person's life. And he's not downplaying it. He's not snarky. You know, I'm a big Jeopardy fan. And one of the things about Alex Trebek was that he would always give you a little bit of sass. He would always sort of take the wind out of your sails a little bit. Bob Barker didn't really do that. He was excited with you. He wanted to watch you spin that wheel. He wanted to see you, you know, win the, the showcase showdown. And he's absolutely iconic. I think on the Mount Rushmore of game shows, Bob Barker's gonna be there. Moving on now to Raquel Welch, really one of the great beauties in the history of cinema. She died earlier this year at the age of 86. I think of myself as a woman who one of the things that I have to uh, play with is my sexuality. And um, I like it. And uh, I've never made too many bones about it, although sometimes it's been uncomfortable. But most of the time it served me very well. But she's not someone to just be recognized for how pretty she was. She was also a terrific actress. She got her start in the uh, 1966 uh, prehistoric fantasy movie, One Million Years B.C., but she went Which on to launched a poster that became iconic. Uh, so, so it's funny. As awful it is, is now, it seems so anti-woke. But this poster was in, not, not my generation, the next generation before, maybe my father's. You know, the, this poster became the one that was on every boy's room. In my generation, it was Heather Locklear and Heather Thomas. Or Farrah Fawcett. And then Farrah Fawcett, right? And then you move forward and you got Pamela Anderson. Well, she was the one that I think started that entire thing. And it's amazing how famous she got. Not just here, she was Italian, but she was also of Mexican descent. Something that got a little controversy later in life. She sort of refused to acknowledge her Mexican ancestry. Uh, but nevertheless, she did later on and, and, and apologized for it. But nevertheless... She was one of the biggest stars in the world, largely because of the start that she got and then how pretty she was. But she attempted to break free from the sex symbol archetype with roles in Maya Breckenridge, Hanny Calder, and Kansas City Bomber. 
Welch won a Golden Globe for her role as Constance in The Three Musketeers in 1973. So she really did start to break free from this idea that she was just a pretty woman. Yeah, she'll always be remembered, though, as a timeless beauty. Raquel Welch was one of those people, no matter what age you were, when you discovered her or where we saw her on the street on TMZ, she would often speak with us. Uh, she was just absolutely stunning throughout her entire yeah. life, and, and she'll be remembered. And I want to throw it in the hat to somebody who didn't maybe age as gracefully, but nevertheless is a legend of music. That's right. So that's David Crosby, of course, who passed away in January of this year um, after a long illness, likely covid he passed away. He's a he's a legendary musician in a lot of rights. He was obviously part of Crosby, Stills and Nash. He's one of the namesakes of that great band. But he's a two time Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee because he was prior to being in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. He was in the birds. Uh, he really rose to stardom. So he was at the center of the hippie revolution uh, to sort of put a blunt statement on it. He. Yeah. You know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and the Birds were right there on the American scene with what the Beatles were doing. And they were sort of omnipresent. They were at Woodstock. I mean, these were the types of musicians who became sort of legendary. He's up there with the Bob Dylans yeah, of the world. Right. And he's talked about in these exalted tones. Now, during his life, he lived a long time. He could be a prickly figure. I mean, he was a guy who was somewhat controversial, would say what was on his mind. and was sort of unapologetic about doing so. But he's also quite progressive. He famously uh, was the sperm donor for Melissa, Melissa Etheridge when yeah. she wanted to have a, a, a child. And, you know, this was at a time when lesbian relationships weren't accepted universally. Yep. And he said, you know what? They're fine with me. They can have my sperm if they want to have a, a rock and roll Hall of Famer. I'm happy to do so. And I think that really, like Ellen DeGeneres in her day, really opened people's minds to everyone living yeah, peacefully. The yeah. way they want to live, right? David Crosby, he became a bit of a character of himself, right? He ben. was always chubby and he got to the point of beyond chubby later in his life. He had the long hair that seemed unkempt. And I think in the Melissa Etheridge thing, but all of that overshadows, I think, one of the great singer-songwriter careers in music history. Well, you know, I am at the end of my life, Howard, and it, it's a very strange thing. And here's what I've come to about it. It's not how much time you got, because we really don't know. Uh, I, I could have two weeks, I could have 10 years. It's what you do with the time that you do have. He wrote some of the most legendary songs in the history of music. Obviously, insanely successful, became very, very wealthy as a result. But, uh, you know, I think that the, those controversies had a tendency to outweigh what he accomplished as a musician. Yeah, he certainly towards towards the middle and latter part of his life would would say things that made you pause and yep. sort of re-examine whether you really wanted to go along the journey with with David Crosby <laughs> right. for the rest of his life. I don't want to say it, it ultimately, you know, clouded all of those accomplishments because they're uncloudable. But in some sense. supremely talented yeah. for sure. We'll go ahead and take a quick ad break. We'll be back after this. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including Ray-Ban, Good American, and Ulta. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals. During Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for apparel and electronics, and you can save on everything you need for the summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Just go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. Rakuten, R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
So next, we'll turn to Dianne Feinstein, the longest-serving female senator of all time who died recently at the age of 90 years old. Uh, people are hurting. They're looking for change. It's really the first time in my political life that I have found that being a woman uh, isn't a disadvantage. So, Derek, Dianne Feinstein, one of the proudest careers in the history of the Senate, as I mentioned, the longest living female senator of all time. She rose to prominence after the assassination of the mayor of San Francisco, uh, George Masconi. She was the deputy mayor, so rose to the position of mayor. And she uh, was well-renowned for governing with two things, great intelligence and great compassion. She got elected to the Senate a few years later and ultimately had this incredible career that is unmatched by any woman in the Senate's history. Yeah, you know, she was a towering figure. She was widely respected, even by her political opponents in the Senate, because she was just there for so long. I think what was unfortunate about Dianne Feinstein's career was towards the end, some of her, you know, diminishments... uh, started to get the better of her. And there were a series of maybe sort of embarrassing things that happened along the way, but it didn't cloud uh, what was already established as one of the greatest careers in in the Senate. Um, but her passing certainly sent shockwaves through the political world. I mean, this is not, she her death is, is along the lines of the death of a, of a president. Yeah. I mean, she's such a, a well-known figure in politics and had been for decades. And you made the point earlier, she was from an era where people were allowed to cross party lines, were allowed to have friends that were on other sides of the party, uh, other sides of the aisle, and you wouldn't be criticized for that. And she was one of those people that tried to hold on to those alliances and those friendships late into her life. And I think beyond the diminishment, I think she was criticized a little bit because she was still friendly, frankly, with some pretty hardcore right-wing folks and she didn't back away from that. And for that reason, I think she was really an important figure and it's a great loss to the Senate when she passed. Yeah. And from one progressive lion of the Senate to another progressive, uh, you know, sort of standout, Harry Belafonte passed this year of congestive heart failure at his home in Manhattan. Hey, he said, daylight come and we won't go what can you say about Harry Belafonte? Harry Belafonte was a massive figure in the civil rights movement because he was so popular and he parlayed that popularity into uh, championing the causes that he cared most about, which during his era of his life was the civil rights movement. I mean, Harry Belafonte is one of those guys who's in pictures next to Martin Luther King. He's in pictures next to, you know, Malcolm X. He's he marched on Washington. He marched he on Washington. with Martin Luther King. He was one of these guys. He was in the center of what was most relevant and current uh, in the political scene. And he was also just a tremendous talent. He was very, very entertaining. He was obviously known as the King of Calypso. He ignited this sort of fad of Calypso music in the late 1950s and best known perhaps for his song Deo, which is the banana boat song. If you've ever if you've ever seen Beetlejuice, you know that it was famously uh, Deo, the rendition of Deo around the dinner table in that movie. But he was a, a huge figure and he was very outspoken, very handsome. And I always admired when I think of guys like Sidney Poitier and Harry Belafonte, I just think of admiration yep. because you look at these guys who could have had life so easy. They yep. could have just gotten by on their good looks. He could have been a matinee idol who was singing in, in smoky clubs for the rest yep. of his life and earned a good living doing it. And he wasn't satisfied doing that. And Harry Belafonte made a lot of change and progress for good in this country uh, as a result of just being unsatisfied with that kind of life. On a personal note, he was my mom's number one favorite. Uh, Harry Belafonte music was playing throughout my house throughout my childhood. Makes you feel good, that music. She was very sad when she learned that he died. But we uh, listened to some Calypso, some uh, Harry Belafonte, actually, last week and uh, with with her. Love that. It's a good time of year. Tribute to to Harry. Exactly. Exactly right. 
Next, we want to. I want to move on to someone slightly more controversial, uh, Tom Sizemore. Hell of a transition, Jason, uh, yeah. from Harry Belafonte, who led sort of this admirable life, to Tom Sizemore. Tell me about it. Tom Sizemore died in March of this year at the age of 62 years old. My son said, you can do this. I believe in you, Dad. You can have a second act as an actor. I said, I want to have a second act as a man. And he went, you can have that too. Tom Sizemore, a very controversial figure, uh, lived the life of an addict. He was well regarded as a phenomenal acting talent, but could never keep it together. He made often made sets very, very difficult. Quentin Tarantino, who picked up on his talent and cast him in a number of movies, has, with a wink and a nod, talked about how difficult Tom Sizemore was to work with. Um, but he's nevertheless played in some the most iconic movies of all time. He was in Saving Private Ryan and Black Hawk Down and many others. Uh, he had been hospitalized since February of 2023 after suffering a brain aneurysm caused by a stroke. He was in a coma since his collapse from an injury, and he died at a hospital in Burbank uh, with his brother Paul and twin boys Jaden and Jagger at his side. A sad death. He died very young after an incredibly difficult life. But when I think about Tom Sizemore, I think of his electric presence on screen. He had those wide eyes. He was uh, unpredictable. You know, he was my generation sort of Dennis Hopper type figure. Who uh, was, I like that comparison. You know what I mean? He was a guy who, wow, you didn't know what you were going to expect. You knew he was going to bring a lot of energy and sort of an oddness to some of his roles. He could play villains incredibly. He played, you know, proud soldiers, obviously, in, in Saving Private Ryan. He'll be missed as a screen presence. He obviously had a very sort of checkered history with drugs and, and various crimes along the way. But on screen, he was really, really outstanding. I wanted to move on to someone else who was great on the on the Talk about a night and moving from not so nice guy to one of the nicest guys in Hollywood history. This is a beloved figure. This is Alan Arkin, who passed away on June 29th of this year from cardiovascular disease. His son, Matthew, disclosed that his father had been dealing with heart ailments, but he didn't specify any further than that. Whoa, 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 back up a minute. You know what a loser is? A real loser is somebody that's so afraid of not winning, they don't even try. Now, you're trying, right? Yeah. Well, then you're not a loser. You know, Alan Arkin is uh, a, a tremendous actor, and he's one of those guys who different generations come to in different ways. I came to Alan Arkin and in, in uh, Glengarry Glen Ross. Uh -huh. And this is a movie that is like a play. There's not much room for special effects. There's none of that. It is just perfect writing executed perfectly on screen. And he's one of the guys who could do it. He's up there with Al Pacino and Kevin Spacey and Jack Lemmon and Alan Arkin. Those are yeah. the four guys on screen for most of the movie. And it's exhilarating. So he is uh, famous depending on when you came to know him. You said it was Glengarry Glen, Ro Glen Ross. A lot of people know him from Little Miss Sunshine where he played the grandpa and it's a role he got he received an academy award for it's this incredible that's role. sort of another ensemble movie there's yeah. not much to it it's a low budget production but you knew when you cast alan arkin you were going to get a superb performance yep. and it's often in a supporting role you know he wasn't the center of the of the of the action in most movies but he's often the most memorable component so in little miss sunshine you've got a little actress you had abigail breslin she did a tremendous job but it's her grandpa who's crusty and a heroin addict it's, it's she, was movie. she was celebrated because she was so young, gave such sort of a precocious performance. But Alan Arkin stole that movie, and he won the Academy Award, rightfully so, as a result of it. He was the talk of Hollywood for about eight months coming out of that movie. It was a great movie. Everybody loved it. Her performance was great, but Alan Arkin was sublime in that role. Yeah, he was always a, a reliable value add to any movie performance, and he'll certainly be missed. So I want to move back to the not-so-shiny side of Hollywood and talk about Robert Blake. Robert Blake uh, died in March of this year at the age of 89 years old. I'm a prisoner 
I'm in a cement box in a jail. So Robert Blake got his start and came to great fame playing in the television show Beretta. Uh, became a well-known actor, director, producer for the rest of his life, but is most renowned for the 2001 slaying of his wife, Bonnie Lee Blakely, outside of Vitello's restaurant in Hollywood. He was eventually acquitted from the charge of killing her. Uh, he said that it, she was involved in the drug scene and it must have been somebody that was one of her sort of drug buddies or whatever it was. But all of the evidence pointed to the fact that he killed her and in his passing, there was a re-examination of that death, the trial, the verdict, and really that fact that justice was not served. Yeah, you know, he's a pretty unlikable individual. There's yeah. no doubt about it. But he came from another era of Hollywood where stars often got away with stuff. You know, he was one of the last Little Rascals during the tail end of the Little Rascals. So you're talking he's someone who was well, he's born in 33. So yeah, yeah he, he was famous he, yeah. in the 30s and 40s, yeah. you know. Um, so Robert Blake came from an era when some of those things could be swept under the rug. And then he didn't really adjust to how, you know, modern Hollywood and modern news really work. And, you know, even though he was acquitted of that, you're right. Most of the evidence points in that direction. And Robert Blake became a bit of a not not a joke, kind of a, a scary sort of cautionary tale yeah. about uh, a child star going the wrong way and going going down a wrong path. He lived a very long life, though, you he know, did. and and so he was a guy who there's people who stand by Beretta, say it was one of the most important shows of the 1970s, certainly was a talented guy, but deeply, deeply troubled. There were stories about him because he lived for another 22 years after he killed his wife or allegedly killed his wife. Um, and there were stories about how people would see him in Hollywood and he would badmouth them if they'd say anything negative to him at all. He would badmouth him and say, go fuck yourself, basically. He yeah. An, an angry man from the moment he reached stardom all the way up until his death. So, so next I want to go to uh, Ryan O'Neill, who passed away after a lengthy battle with prostate cancer in December of this year. Well, it's a gamble, this, this thing I do. It's a gamble. And I'm breaking about even. Maybe I'm a little ahead now. There's no way of, uh, of getting it right. So Ryan O'Neill is sort of a fascinating guy. He's a guy with sort of perfect good looks, right? He was a soap star on Peyton Place early in his career, but he didn't just stick with being a matinee idol. And a lot of guys did. A lot of guys who had Ryan O'Neill's looks would have been satisfied just doing that kind of work. But his career, if you look at it, he constantly challenged himself. Um, he was nominated for Best Actor in the schmaltzy 70s movie Love Story, which when you go to Harvard, um, they show this movie to you because it was a love story between a Harvard guy and his terminally ill uh, Radcliffe uh, lady yeah. who's played by Ali McGraw. It's very schmaltzy. I'm not going to say this movie holds up, but his acting performance is incredible in it. And he actually earned a best actor nod for it and then went on to star in Barry Lyndon, which is one of Stanley Kubrick's uh, proudest accomplishments. And this is a guy who turned out 2001. I mean, I don't need to list the filmography of Stanley Kubrick to tell you how incredible he is, but Ryan O'Neill starred in one of those movies, and he was this colorful figure. He dated Farrah Fawcett for many, many years. He had a turbulent relationship with his daughter Tatum O'Neill, which he parlayed into another great performance in the movie Paper Moon alongside yeah. his daughter. And so he had this he had this uh, Hollywood career that was enviable, but sort of a reflection of the troubles in his life. And he was able to sort of you know, translate that onto screen into interesting performances. But he eventually finds a great love of his life in Farrah Fawcett, and they they're together for a long time. They broke up for a period of time. They got back together. And when Farrah got sick, it's sort of a, a life imitating art. He was the one that cared for her 
down to the last days of her life. She struggled with cancer for a long period of time until she finally succumbed. And he was there for her. And as they grew old together, this once beautiful couple. <laughs> couple, the couple of all couples in Hollywood. This is this is, you know, Pitt and Aniston. These are the two best looking people in Hollywood together, and they were celebrated as such. But his love, their love for each other was palpable. They talked about it often and openly about how much they cared about each other. And it was hard, it was obviously tragic to see his longtime partner pass away. But nevertheless, the love they showed each other, both publicly and privately, up until our last days, was lovely. It was. It was beautiful. And he was so smitten with her. You're right. When you would talk to him about Farrah Fawcett, he would light up. Yeah. And and to his, to his dying day, he sort of championed her legacy and would talk about her endlessly. And... You know, I, I do think he's underrated as an actor. I think a lot of people think of Ryan O'Neill as a pretty face from the 70s, but I wanted to give him his due as, as a pretty important piece of Hollywood history. Last person on this list is perhaps the most liked and admired person in Hollywood. It's a shame that we didn't do his death at the time, but Tony Bennett died at the age of 96 years old in July of this year. And seven times he hurried back to kiss his love again and tell her toot, toot, tootsie goodbye. Tony Bennett, obviously an American jazz and traditional pop singer. He received more accolades, perhaps, than any other male singer of his generation. 20 Grammys, Lifetime Achievement Awards, two Primetime Emmy Awards. He had been singing since the 1940s. He had this huge career through the 50s and 60s and 70s. And then in the 2000s, 2010s, he begins to do these, these duets with Lady Gaga and Natalie Cole and others and has this entire new career, introduces him to a whole new generation of folks. We work with a lot of young people who don't know anybody from those generations. But they know Tony But they know Tony Bennett. Yeah, what's fascinating about Tony Bennett to me is that he came from an era where Frank Sinatra was big. And Frank Sinatra, I remember as he aged through the decades, some of those tendencies became a little bit uh, difficult. Yep. You know, You know, Frank Sinatra didn't gracefully enter the new generation. There would be skits about him and parodies on SNL about, you know, how things he said. He was sort of a drunk and, and so yep. forth. Tony Bennett was lovable throughout. Everybody yet he was, loved him. He was yep. part of both scenes. You know, you could see him, uh, you know, carousing in Vegas with Frank Sinatra and then singing with Lady Gaga, whose, whose progressive bona fides are second to none. Yep. And both generations just adored Tony Bennett and he was universally admired and tremendous voice and just a big loss. Yeah. In 2016, as he was suffering the, the, the ill effects of Alzheimer's, which eventually took his life, um, he began to talk openly about his history and announced to the world for the first time, openly at least, that he had had a huge profound drug habit in the 1970s. He had come close to overdosing a, a number of times, but he talked about it in a way that was very uplifting and was really meaningful to a lot of people who had been through the same troubles. And again, just one of the most beloved people in the history of music. So we wanted to end uh, naming a few other folks who we didn't get a chance to mention during this episode or during the course of the year. Uh, Andre Brower died just a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, you know, Andre Brower, homicide, life on the streets. You had him in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just a tremendous actor who brought a lot of gravitas to roles, but also had great comedic timing, which he showed in the latter part of his life. And also his homicide co-star, Richard Belzer, a comedian. Uh, Angus Cloud, somebody who recently really made a huge stamp on the world in the show Euphoria, died at a very young age, only in his 20s. Uh, on the other end of the age spectrum, Michael Gambon, who famously played Dumbledore in the last uh, four or 
or five uh, Harry Potter installments. Yeah, uh, both Dumbledores have now passed on. Both Michael Dumbledores Gambon. have passed on. Uh, Pat Robertson, the controversial uh, uh, minister who founded the 700 Club. And Norman Lear's foe. No, Mo- like. Norman Lear's foe, that's right. Uh, Burke Baccarat, I know somebody you really admired a lot. Just a singing legend and, and a, you know, a guy whose voice sort of defined my childhood. If you listen to Harry Belafonte in your house, my mom was playing Burke Baccarat. Yeah, and then last but not least at all, Cindy Williams, who played Shirley on the Vernon Shirley for so many years, died after a long illness. Uh, all these folks uh, mean a lot to us and uh, will certainly be missed. Yeah, Jason, this has been so much fun going through these names because we struggled with this throughout the year. We were like, how can we cover everyone? And we had to figure out a way to at least give some acknowledgement to the names that we missed along the way. And we'll continue to do this because there are just too many big names uh, to, to cover during the course of the year. And I'm glad we were able to do this. All right, everybody. We look forward to more episodes of Last Days throughout 2024. Happy New Year. 